Hello and welcome to the Priority Sale Podcast. I am Jesse Lafine. I am joined today by my co-producer of the Priority Sale Podcast, Tiffany Jordan. Hello. Hi, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to have you. Uh, you know, one of the weird things about starting a podcast is that they all start with hello and welcome. And someday I'm going to try and figure out a better way to start a podcast. But until then, hello and welcome. Thanks. Uh, I appreciate a good hello and a welcome. <laughs> as, as do I. <laughs> Today we are going to talk about something that is uh, really important to both of us and something that we have discussed a lot uh, over the past year and a half, especially. And that topic is why is it so hard to change? And I think the really interesting part of this for, for us and you know our purposes here today, we've had so much change happen in and around selling over the past 20 years, even more over the past 10 years, probably even more over the past, what would you say, 15 months or so. And what's really interesting about that change is that the way that corporations and uh, you know selling organizations have really addressed that change failed us, it seems, when we needed it most. And what I'm talking about is the inability to get together in a room and strategize and train through these new problems of selling remote and selling during this pandemic. Uh, we just couldn't do that. I think something that's really interesting about that is, well, you're absolutely right. Everything that we were doing ahead of what I refer to as the apocalypse um, <laughs> failed us at exactly the right moment, certainly. Um, but as all this change has happened, you know, sales quotas didn't go away and um, goals didn't go away and companies had to work harder than ever to, to, to just keep their doors open and all of the skills um, that they had been training around for years and years and years, all of a sudden they really just couldn't rely on anymore. And so it was kind of like the whole world of sales threw their hands up and we're like, well, we still have to sell, but how do we do it? What do we do now? Um, and honestly, studying behavioral change and being um, in the training profession, uh, it's the old ways of training were really not as effective as people likely thought that they were. Um, but it was easy to sort of hide because you were doing lots of things. You were making lots of calls. You were having lots of meetings. You were taking a lot of shots. Um, and you might have been really, really, really doing well. Um, but a lot of the training that you were receiving actually wasn't helping you um, at all, um, or not a lot. And so all of a sudden, you know, we had to change things up pretty quickly. And I think we both certainly appreciate the the sort of uh, hustle and figure it out ability, if that's a, a word, it's not, uh, that, you know, a lot of organizations really showed during that time. Uh, but really what we're talking about is, sure, it is about, uh, as you call it, the apocalypse, uh, but it's, it's really more than that. It, this, the, the rate of change has been speeding up and just getting faster and faster and faster. Uh, for the past 10, 20 years. And so certainly uh, in times of, you know, drastic, complete dislocation like we had in 2020, uh, absolutely, you know, hustle, get that thing figured out. Um, but uh, more than that, just organizations' ability to respond to that pace of change over the past 10, 20 years. Do you think that the, the way that we were doing things, you know, even 
you know, pre 2020, where was that headed? What was the trajectory of that? Was that ever really useful? Um, I wouldn't say that it was completely not useful, but I was doing some interesting reading the other day and I was reading something about just how fast technology is changing and how companies were already having such a hard time keeping up. Um, and employees were really like, man, there's all these new tools, there's all these new expectations around these uh, digital technologies and these virtual things, and I don't know how to use them. And as soon as I learn how to use one or I'm trained up on something, something new um, comes up and I have to be trained on this thing. So um, to your point, things have been changing rapidly for a really long time. Um, but yeah, you know, fast forward to the last 15 months and it's just, I mean, it became nearly impossible to keep up. So the old ways of doing things uh, were really, really not going to serve us uh, well in in the time that we are in now um, and what was happening pre-apocalypse, if you will, um, for a lot of reasons. But no, we were not going to be able to keep up with the sort of old school um, way that we were doing adult learning and training and development. And I want to talk about some of the things that, that we have done, you know, historically um, that you know, some, some of the reasons why those things aren't really serving their purpose anymore. I think one of the things that I, I personally see, we, we all see around a lot of not, not just sales organizations, I would say, uh, you know, companies, uh, even maybe sometimes in our personal lives is that we sort of just hope things get better. Right. Uh, that, that doesn't seem like a very sustainable strategy. It sure doesn't. Uh, I feel like training and development is one of those things that gets talked about an awful lot. Oh, that's a great idea. I would really love to do a training or a course on that thing. Um, and it is always the thing that gets, you know, well, we'll, we'll circle back to that, you know. Um, and that's that's really sort of relying on hope as a strategy. You know, we hope we'll make time for that one day. We're going to hope we're going to get there. Uh, you know, we'll make time. And, it, it, you know, like you said, that just really is no strategy for change and it's just not going to work. Um, at all. And it, and it makes perfect sense given what we know about the brain, right? We work so hard to get back to stasis from a place that is painful or threatening, but we rarely take action on trying to get to that, you know, sort of aspirational space. And I, I think training is a really good example of, you know, we can hope we can get better. We can hope that we can improve these things. We can hope that we get around uh, to that thing. But I mean, as long as it remains in that hope space, it's just never going to get action. Well, and like we talked about at the start of this call, you know, change is hard. People know that change is hard. People know that changing their behavior is extra hard. And so, uh, you know, training, training is hard. Learning new things is hard. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely that thing that we always hope to get to or that we hope we'll get better without much effort. So let's talk about the times where we actually do get around to it, because I mean, certainly there exists in the world sales training. And I think one of the things that we we often think about when we think about upskilling of any kind, uh, but I think especially sales training for some reason, is this idea of the uh, maybe one day, two day, three day workshop, right? Uh, we fly somebody in, we fly a bunch of people in sometimes from, you know, various branches or offices around the country, you put them all in a ballroom and we eat various qualities of food together and we spend a lot of time thinking about and talking about the way that we sell in this workshop. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that you've done a lot of research and have been around, uh, you know, a lot of science about how we learn things and uh, none of it speaks well for this style of upskilling. Right. 
Um, well, and training like that is really just not possible right now and certainly hasn't been possible in the last year and a half. But yeah, there are a lot of reasons that make that type of training pretty ineffective. Um, one thing is that your brain is really just not going to be able to engage for that length of time um, and retain anything that's super meaningful. Uh, people you know, are spending half a day, an entire day, an entire two days away from their office, away from their family. Um, you know, they've got their device, they're worried about all the things that they're missing, and they're just really not going to engage and interact with you in the way um, that's really necessary to create any sort of meaningful behavior modification or change. So that's one thing. Um, and the other thing too is that it is just sort of this check the box activity. You know, I went to the training for the day, you know, that was a great session, or I got to meet somebody or see somebody that I only see once a year. It was a great networking opportunity. Like you said, I got to have some bomb food. I've had some great food at training. <laughs> um, and all of that stuff, you know, it's not necessarily bad. But, you know, five days later, your brain doesn't remember hardly anything that you learned in that day. You might remember the really awesome cocktail hour, but I'm not putting any into practice really anything that was was taught um, because it just wasn't taught in a way that was meant to be retained. Um, there's no real practice typically that follows those types of trainings. There's no real action plan um, that follows those trainings typically. And so that's sort of the way that I refer to those types of sessions is sort of the, the check the box. It's very, um, it's like an interact or a, a transaction. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, I did the thing, I took the training and now I'm going to be better. Well, it doesn't really work that way. Um, typically you might luck into some things post a training like that, but um, as far as creating real behavioral shift, it's not likely to occur. Worth noting that if the cocktail hour was really that awesome, you might not remember any of it. Right, not remember anything at all. Yes. <laughs> Fair point. Bring up the really interesting point around practice though that I want to touch on, which is these workshop events typically take place in an environment that's outside of your no normal sort of, you know, day to day, right? And so it almost seems like we can kind of leave that training where we took it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I don't bring it back with me. It's not in a natural environment. I can't really relate it to, you know, these things in the spaces where I usually am doing these things. So it's almost like bringing me outside of that to train me doesn't really have the intended effect. You're absolutely right. Um training in a box like you're talking about is another reason why those types of trainings are really ineffective and that's why you're starting to see a huge shift um it was starting to happen pre 15 months ago but it's really happening rapidly now um where there's this sort of idea that we need to meet learners or sellers if you will where they are we need to provide training that we they can incorporate into their daily lives that they can take on their cell phone that they can do between their meetings, um, sort of like micro sessions. We need to remind them to engage with these types of things. And uh, that's that's really going to create a longer lasting change. And you're a lot more likely to have learners that are engaging with the content and paying attention because you're meeting them where they are um, with topics that they need throughout the day. Uh, so yeah, that shift, uh, like I said, was starting to occur. It's happening far more rapidly now. and uh, the, we're seeing that it is actually way more effective than the training that we were seeing done in the past, for sure. The other sort of focus of a lot of this training, and this is probably more true in the sales space than it is in, in other areas. Um, 
something that I guess, you know, personally kind of irks me or all, all of this training on these really old methods of selling, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, you have all of these uh, methodologies and things that were developed in the 60s and 70s and 80s uh, to, to mean from where I'm sitting, uh, the internet fundamentally changed how we sell, right? Like we've talked about this on this pod, we've talked about this uh, in you know our, our book. Uh, we went from information distributors into insight developers, right? We need to develop that priority. We need to be consultants, uh, not simply handing out brochures. And uh, some of these old methods just don't really understand that. I mean, Sandler was built before fax machines, not, not just to pick on Sandler. It does some really great things and teaches some, some really solid things, but these, these uh, you know, methods that, that were built in the 60s, 70s, 80s really can't serve our purposes today. No. Something that you just said sparked an interesting thought uh, for me that we're really fighting a couple of battles here. We were fighting this battle of this training, this sort of stereotypical workshop training that was probably very ineffective. But then all of a sudden you have this whole plethora of brand new skills that people have to learn basically from, from, from ground zero, if you will, these things that they've never done before. Um, and if you're going to train them in a way that's ineffective, they're, they're just not gonna learn it. Um, and then you have sellers that can't compete, um, that can't relate to their customers appropriately, um, that aren't getting the margins that they need to, you know, I mean, that just creates a whole slew of problems. And so um, it's just, you know, I hadn't, hadn't thought of it that way before, but I mean, that's just, that's just a training nightmare. <laughs> um, because you're right, there are all these things, um, developing insights, social selling, all of these new sort of things that people have to be really good at. And if 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 managers and leaders aren't investing in good training, they're not going to learn these things. They're certainly not going to be able to develop them, to practice them. Um, and then, you know, that just becomes a really sort of cyclical problem. Really interesting example of that uh, that I just saw today in the Wall Street Journal is uh, Merrill Lynch is not requiring its new recruits to do any more cold calling, whereas in the past they would be expected to be on the phone hundreds of dials a day, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just playing that numbers game. And that's that's not something that any old sales methodology uh, can really write out of itself. Uh, and again, I think that there are useful parts to a lot of different ones, uh, but as a whole, and you know, as as a chronological uh, steps on this uh, buying journey. Um, I just don't think that that really can exist anymore. Um, but I do want to turn our attention and, and you've touched on a couple of these things already, which is great. But um, uh, on this podcast, uh, we try to be helpful and we try to not just, uh, you know, talk about things that are broken, but rather uh, sort of how we fix them. So I, I want to talk about some of the ways that, that we can get it right. And I think that one of the really great uh, perspectives that you've brought to the priority sale is that really what we're talking about, uh, yes, it's upskilling. Yes, it's training. But really what we're talking about is something else. And that's really behavioral change. Right. Uh, right. We want to shift the way that people learn, because if you shift the way that people learn, you will shift the, the things that they do, if you will. Um, and so, like you said, I touched on some of the stuff, but just meeting learners where they are, being very aware of the types of things that they need to learn, um, at what pace, how much they can fit into a learning session. And then the most critical part 
of all of this is putting it into practice um, and reminding sellers that they need to practice these things um, and giving them the tools and a framework for doing that. Because you can't just tell somebody, here's this thing that you need to know and now you need to go practice doing it. Like it just doesn't work that way. So what we're trying to do and what successful training will do is here's the information given to you in a way that's useful on a topic that you need. It's digestible, but there's also going to be an action plan that follows so that you can re-engage with this when you need to. You can refer back to it quickly when you're on the job. And here are some things that you can do to be practicing these things and um, continue to develop them. And that shouldn't come as a, as a you know wild surprise or anything like that. But I think for a lot of us, it does. Uh, I, don't, I don't think a lot of us as sellers really think about um, practicing, you know what I mean? But, it, you know, thinking back, I think there was a moment in all of our childhoods or, or at some point in our lives where we finally realized, hey, if I spend a lot of time fielding ground balls, I can finally be better at fielding ground balls. And now, here in a professional capacity in which our livelihoods depend on it, we sort of just expect to be able to sort of work through it on talent or work through it on experience or things like that. And it's just not the case. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Um, you know, you don't ever question. Well, actually I was thinking about how my mom made me practice piano for 30 minutes every night. And I definitely did question her a lot, I'm sure, but <laughs> Um, but you don't, you know, you don't think about it as an adult. You're right. You just sort of think like, this is my job and I need to be successful and I just will. Um, but you know, with everything that's going on and the rate of change that we're seeing, especially in sales, um, it's just not a realistic expectation that you're, you're going to be awesome at all of this stuff right out of the gate. And so you have to be practicing it, um, in order to be competitive with, with sellers around you. Cause they, they are, people are, that's what we're seeing. And I think that this idea of practice can seem maybe a little bit corny or a little bit intimidating even uh, because we think of it as either like scripted rehearsals with a manager or, uh, you know, getting caught talking into the mirror, right? But it doesn't necessarily have to be those things. Uh, this this can be, uh, you know, me mental, uh, a mental rehearsal. Uh, can probably uh, be really effective, right? Uh, just committing to, hey, I'm going to ask this question on this call this time can be really, really helpful. Uh, so I don't, I don't think we necessarily are saying uh, you need to give your pitch to your dog, um, even though actually that is a pretty effective practice. Great. <laughs> yeah, I mean like we've been saying, change is hard and it's uncomfortable and um, it takes longer than we would like to form new habits. Um, I think a statistic I read recently is that they used to say um, it takes 30 days to build a habit. And I think the science is now saying it takes closer to 60 days. Um, but if you, you know, continue to practice and, and like you said, just mentally engage um, or set small goals along the way, I'm going to ask this question or I'm going to um, you know, share this insight on this call, or I'm going to treat this meeting in this way in order to achieve, you know, X, whatever it is. Um, those are things that you're doing along the way to practice. Um, and if you get just, you know, incrementally better each time, think about how awesome you're going to be in 60 days from now. <laughs> One final point here um, that is related to this practice is uh, you were sharing uh, something that you had found, which really, I mean, confirms 
what I think that we've both seen in, in the field uh, lately, which is that people are looking for help with upskilling. Yeah, um, there's a lot of research out right now that is showing, um, you know, people are, are all of a sudden very aware of what their abilities are and what their abilities are not, um, because you really can't hide right now. And there's also sort of, I think, this, this understanding that, you know, we're not traveling and we're not, we, we don't have these expenses, right, that we have sort of had in the past. And so I think that employees are really, you know, they sort of put those two things together. I have some skills that I need to learn, or I have some skills that I need to brush up on. And, you know, I know that other organizations are investing in the upskilling of their employees. And so, you know, look alive manager, let's, let's rock this out and make everybody better. Um, it's, it's a very, very interesting thing to see in the adult learning space, this sort of uh, hunger for training and development. Um, because like we talked about before, you know, it, it used to sort of be this thing that like, oh, well, we'll get to it or uh, training, like, I don't know. And now people are aware of how important it is. Um, and like I said, they're really hungry for it. So it's been a really interesting thing to sort of watch over the last year and a half. A hundred percent. I think there's only so much change that can happen before people start raising their hands and saying, you know, we, we have to do something different. Uh, and there's no doubt that, I mean, not just the past year and a half, two years, uh, the past five, 10 years, uh, it, it's all really, really catching up. Yep. yep. So if we know that things have to change, if we know that employees are expecting uh, some help here, and we know that the old ways aren't really working. Uh, what are some ways that managers maybe uh, can help some of their individual contributors, uh, you know, get up to speed and, and sort of challenge them to improve? I would say, um, you know, sort of some general tips would be to do some really good research before you invest in a training, um, brush up on what makes training work, um, sort of the learning science behind it. Those are really easy things to find. And when you're considering a training, you just need to make sure that you're checking as many boxes as possible if you're gonna invest in that. Um, encourage your employees to be open and communicate with you on things that they're struggling with. Um, encourage them to practice, be available to be a sounding board for them to practice with. Um, and then create materials that they can reference quickly um, or find some that they can reference quickly uh, as they're sort of navigating this new sales territory. Um, but those would be my sort of general tips. I think there are, there's no shortage of training out there right now, because like we just talked about, everyone is investing in upskilling. And so there's, there's a lot of training. Um, that doesn't mean there's a lot of good training and certainly not all training is created equal. So I would just, um, I would really encourage you, like I said, do your research and make sure you're checking as many boxes as possible. Um, and then, you know, just practice, practice, practice. The only thing I'll add to that, uh, which is a fantastic list, is to really think about the outcome that you want from the training before you get into the you know program itself. And the reason I say that is I think oftentimes companies uh, fall into this trap where uh, we vetted the training, we bought the training, the training was delivered and therefore it is good and we did it, right? And I think thinking about that outcome rather than the fulfillment of that training is a really good way because that's going to help drive those behaviors that you're really expecting to get from that. 
Yeah, just to piggyback off that, um, there's not, well, I was going to say there's nothing worse, but that's that's probably not true. <laughs> but, but it's a really, really crappy feeling as a manager or as a supervisor to invest in a training, spend a lot of time to get your team hyped up for a training. Um, and for whatever reason, that training was ineffective or was in, ended up really being a bummer. Um, because what, that's, what that is going to do is really it's going to shift sort of uh, the way your team is going to respond to future opportunities for training. Um, and like I said, not every training is created equal. And so if you, you know, buy a training for the wrong reason or you think it's going to solve the problem but you really haven't figured out what the goals actually are you haven't done your research you can really do some damage um to your to the culture that you have in your organization around learning and we don't want that for you yeah we don't want that for you yeah no we want better for you for sure and now we will turn our attention to my favorite and really the only segment of this podcast. Is this a thing? So today we are going to talk about learning by osmosis. You hear this phrase a lot, learning by osmosis. So we're going to figure out is learning by osmosis a thing? Before we get into it, I just want to give a quick definition uh, in case anybody is unfamiliar. This is the idea that simply by being in proximity to somebody who is doing something well, that I will be able to also do that thing well. I'll spare you the details on the science of osmosis and how it relates to this concept. Tiffany, learning by osmosis. I, not a thing. It was never a thing. Um, certainly not effective learning. There, I, You could make the argument that it is really awesome to be around people who are doing what you are wanting to do awesomely. Uh, maybe that challenges you. Maybe you see some things that really work well for them. But as we've talked about, uh, creating real behavior change and real behavior modification takes time. It takes practice. Um, it takes you sort of working through your own skill set and figuring out what specific behaviors or triggers or things that you need to modify. So just being in the physical presence or even the virtual presence of someone who's really awesome at that thing you're trying to become really awesome at, um, while helpful in some ways, is really not going to be the way that you learn, which is a bummer because, you know, I would love to be around the Olympic gymnast and just be able to do Olympic gymnastics. Yeah. I mean, I watch a lot of sports and I can't do any of those things. <laughs> I want us to think for a bit, um, all of the things that would have to align in order for learning by osmosis to really occur. Right. And so let's just sort of th think about this. I would need to, um, have a, you know, very useful and, uh, partial skill set that is mostly wholly developed, right? And I would need to have a couple of either skills or attributes or things that um, I needed to improve, right? And so if we think about, let's just say like there's 10, 10 things that I need to be good at in order to fulfill this task. And maybe I have a detriment in two of those 10 things. Um, sure. Those two things that need to be improved would have to align perfectly with the person that I am working next to, right? They would need to be really, really good at those two things not only that, they would have to not let any of the other eight things 
get in the way of those two things, right? And so we start thinking about the, the puzzle piece that has to fit perfectly together from just a skill set standpoint. And I don't think that ever really naturally occurs in any organization like that. I don't think so. And I think you could also make the argument that their motivations and their goals would have to almost be perfectly aligned with your own. Yes. Um, because I might be really, really good at a couple of things that you're not so great at. But if my goals aren't exactly the same as yours, I might do those things differently than you would need to in order to meet your goals. If that 100%, right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes a ton of sense. So, I mean, that's just even a further layer of like, this is really not going to work. Because and then not, not, only, not only does that puzzle piece have to fit, then we have to get those two people in a room performing tasks together mm-hmm. with A, enough time to perform them themselves, but B, enough time to observe that other person doing that, which almost never happens. Yep. And practice it later. And exactly. And practice it later. <laughs> yep. Not only all of that needing to occur, but to happen over a length of time that gives enough hours for that practice to actually pay off and be executed sort of in the, in the wild, if you will. Yes. So for all these reasons, I, and look, you can learn a lot from other people who are good at a skill. You absolutely can. And there's, there's nothing wrong with picking up what you can, when you can. I think I'm, I'm also rating this not a thing, uh, not because uh, learning stuff from people who are good at it isn't great. It's just as a strategy, it seems to be a go-to for so many companies mm-hmm. in training at large, but definitely sales training, right? Like uh, so-and-so has hit her goal, you know, 13 of the last 14 quarters. So we're just going to put, you know, new recruit right next to her and they'll just pick it up. And that, that seems like the strategy, the go-to and it yep. shouldn't. Yep. Yep. Go shadow senior sales guy um, is really not that it's not, it wouldn't be time well spent. Like you said, um, you know, I learn a lot from being around my coworkers um, and people in a similar space, but um, it's not an effective sort of uh, behavior modification strategy for all the reasons that we've already outlined. Um, it, you, you're just not going to, not going to learn super effectively that way. So I, what, I really appreciate you coming strong out of the gate with your verdict, not a thing. Uh, I'm going to concur that learning by osmosis, not a thing. Not a thing, yep. We like gavel this, we play a sad trombone, we should do something. We should get a gavel. (laughs) (laughs) You can find out more about the Priority Sale by visiting thepriorityseal.com. That's also where you can go contact us to tell us your thoughts or why our opinions are very bad. Or if you heard something you like and think others would like it too, share us with a friend or give us a rating on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Priority Sale is produced by Tiffany Jordan and Jesse Lafine. Editing and original music by Mark Hurdle. Priority Sale is a registered trademark of Revenue Path Group, Incorporated, all rights reserved. <laughs>